Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net, the webalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com, on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw, on Telegram, US UK Patriot, and on True Social, Success Alchemist. Today is the 7th of January 2023, and the title of today's show is Pope Benedict's Death, Speaker Election, Safe and Effective Narrative Collapsing. So I want to start with... Um, an analysis by S.G. Anon, a Q News Patriot, in his audio file number 33, which was, um, it was broadcast on the 3rd of January. And the reason I want to start with that, even though most of the attention this week has been on the election of the Speaker of the House, and in fact on... Damer Hamlin's cardiac arrest on the football field. Um, and that links to what I was saying about the safe and effective narrative um, collapsing. So I just want to read you this section of the audio file from SG Anon, which relates directly to the death of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Um, he says it's very significant. And this happened on New Year's Eve. So I'll just run down the points. He says that um, Pope Benedict is the Luciferian controller of the Catholic Church, the puppet master of Pope Francis, obviously the current Pope. And we know how evil he is. One of the most evil, twisted human beings ever to exist. This is referring to Pope Benedict. He was involved in the highest levels of gruesome brutality known as the dark cult Moloch's sacrifice. Um, it happening on New Year's Eve was not an accident. It's celebrated by the Babylonians as the Feast of Aquitu. I'm not quite sure how you spell that. Uh, a 12-day period when the king of Babylon would have to swear fealty to this Luciferian cabal, Baal, dark occult religion, through participation in a human sacrificial ceremony to secure their future for the next year. The significance of his death on the 31st of December was the White Hats confirming to us, like with the death of Queen Elizabeth II, that we have taken control at the top of one of the three primary levers of power and control in the world. We took control on 8th of September 2022 of the world financial system, the banking system. The QFS, the quantum financial system, will be ready to roll whenever the time is right for the flip. So the Queen's death was symbolic of control of the financial system, the City of London. 
Pope Benedict's death is symbolic of control of the spiritual uh, religious sector corrupted by pagan rituals, a very significant event. DC is military control, the military-industrial complex, the ability of the deep state to wage war, manipulate currencies and manipulate leaders. We are more than 70% of the way there. Uh, 2023 has been cited by mystics as a year of calamity, rebirth and difficulty for mankind. Um, but I think basically is saying it is the turning point. Um, towards the end, he says tribunals have been set for late summer, early fall and will continue into 2024. He said, we're in for a world changing year and the death throes of the new world order power structure. International military operations ongoing, uh, as shown in the flight records. He ends by saying, this is the most exciting time in human history. The takedown of the cabal, the MK Ultra spell is being broken. And so, you know, this leads on to really talking about the significance of what happened in this week's election of the house of the speaker of the house so if you've been following it you'll know that um there's been a huge uproar about the fact that um the freedom caucus members led by Ma matt gates were not voting for mccarthy and McCarthy, at the beginning of the week, needed 218 votes in order to secure the Speaker of the House position. And we have seen this play out all week up until even very early Saturday morning. Uh, certainly that's my time in, in Arizona, uh, mountain time. And... There have been some really interesting media stories about this. Sean Hannity really shot himself in the foot by interviewing Lauren Bobert. And uh, incidentally, she's representative of where I stay in Bayfield in Colorado. So I'm very proud of her. Um, but he literally just bullied her in this segment and you know, he'd ask a question and then he'd talk a shout over her so she couldn't get a word in edgeways. And it was deemed by public opinion that Lauren Boebert, you know, won the day. And there were people on Twitter saying, I'm never going to watch Sean Hannity again. And he, he's coming out as definitely um, a deep stater, um, basically supporting the status quo. So, and, and Matt Gates has really been standing up and making some really great speeches. And I must say, most of the awakened people have been very much anti-McCarthy, um, who actually was endorsed by Trump, which surprised people. You know, my question was, why did Trump endorse him when McCarthy told him he should concede the 2020 election and said he was responsible for January 6th. Question is, is this part of the plan? Because Trump tends to put people in the spotlight to, um, or to get them to expose their true colours 
The other question I had was, has Trump got some dirt on McCarthy and is he controlling him? Because, you know, the the Anon view is Trump is calling the shots and that there are things happening that indicate he was calling key people to kind of steer this whole process. I think why Trump endorsed him will become clear after I've shared these articles with you. I'm going to start with one from uh, Western Journal. and This was published uh, today, early morning. And the title is McCarthy finally nails down speaker's gavel after shocking development on House floor. Kevin McCarthy is the 55th Speaker of the House of Representatives. The California Republican finally nailed down the Speaker's gavel after 14 votes in which he failed to secure the position. McCarthy was elected Speaker in the 15th vote for the position early on Saturday morning, according to the Washington Post. He only needed 216 votes in the final conclusive vote. Five House members voted present, which lowered the threshold for McCarthy's simple majority. The late-night votes followed a breakthrough for McCarthy on Friday, in which 15 of his Republican opponents cast their votes for the caucus leader following negotiations in which McCarthy promised reforms to the rules of the House. Even the final vote that preceded McCarthy's election saw its share of drama. McCarthy directly confronted Florida Representative Matt Gates after he failed to secure the gavel by one vote, with Gates voting present in that tally. In his own interaction with Gates, Alabama GOP Representative Mike Rogers was physically restrained by North Carolina Representative Rich Hudson, also a Republican, after McCarthy came up short in the 14th vote for the office. Hudson appeared to grab Rogers by the face in the altercation. President Joe Biden congratulated McCarthy on his election in a statement released before he had been officially sworn in. I won't read that, but he he is basically saying he wants the Republicans to work with him and work with the Democrats. Well, considering how he's approached all this and called us all domestic terrorists, I do hope that it's not going to happen and that we don't end up with McCarthy conceding to everything the Democrats want. Okay, continuing, the 15 rounds of voting it took to elect McCarthy amounted to the lengthiest election for a speaker since before the Civil War, according to the Post. McCarthy was sworn in as speaker after a floor speech that invoked the historical legacy of Abraham Lincoln and made reference to the everyday families of McCarthy's Bakersfield area, California district. After taking his place as Speaker, McCarthy swore in the House members of the 118th Congress. Epoch Times gives us a bit more insight into what actually happened during the 15th vote. Uh, Here are the six Republicans who voted present in the final vote for McCarthy's House Speakership. And this again was um, published this morning. Six Republican House lawmakers voted present instead of yay in the final vote that secured the House Speakership for Representative Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy was elected as the 55th House Speaker in the early hours of January 7th, 
following 15 rounds of votes, the first of which was held on January 3rd. McCarthy, who was the House Republican leader of the 117th U.S. Congress, became House Speaker by a 216 to 212 vote. The six Republicans who voted present instead of outright signalling their support for McCarthy in the final ballot were Representatives Andy Biggs, Republican Arizona, Lauren Boebert, Republican Colorado, Eli Crane, Republican Arizona, Matt Gates, Republican Florida, Bob Good, Republican Virginia, and Matt Rosendale, Republican Montana. The six had previously opposed him, having voted no in the first vote. By the 13th vote, they made up the six votes that were in support of Representative Jim Jordan, Republican Ohio, leaving McCarthy with 214 votes, and Representative Hakeem Jeffries, who's the Democrat, with 212 votes from Democrats. But with their present votes in the 15th round, the number of members voting was reduced to 428, which reduced McCarthy's number of votes needed to win House Speaker to 216, which he secured. On the 14th vote, Biggs and Good voted for Jordan, while Crane and Rosendale voted for Biggs. Meanwhile, Bobert and Gates had voted present. As lawmakers saw from the roll call that only one more vote was needed to elect McCarthy as Speaker, members engaged in highly animated conversations as they tried to convince Gates and Bobert to support McCarthy. But he ended up one vote short of the 217 votes needed in that round. McCarthy faced a total of 20 lawmakers who had initially opposed him, but had succeeded in switching 13 of the 20 by the 12th vote. The 13 lawmakers were Representatives Dan Bishop, Republican North Carolina, Josh Brechin, Republican Oklahoma, Michael Cloud, Republican Texas, Andrew Clyde, Republican Georgia, Byron Donalds, Republican Florida, Paul Gosar, Republican Arizona, Anna Paulina Luna, Republican Florida, Mary Miller, Republican Illinois, Ralph Norman, Republican South Carolina, Andy Ogles, Republican Tennessee, Scott Perry, Republican Pennsylvania, Chip Roy, Republican Texas, and Keith Self, Republican Texas. By the 13th vote, Representative Andy Harris, Republican Maryland, joined to support McCarthy. To win their support, McCarthy had made a number of concessions, including agreeing to multiple reforms in the House procedures to largely empower the rank-and-file members and decrease the power of the Speaker. Just hours ahead of the vote that made McCarthy the next House Speaker, a package of proposed rules for the 118th Congress was released. It marked the first public release of legislation showing the various concessions McCarthy made to the 20 dissidents. Such rules, if the package is passed, would include, among multiple provisions... Raising the vote threshold required to approve increases in tax from a simple majority to a three-fifths majority and imposing budget restraints. It would establish several panels to investigate various issues of concern and lower the requirements needed to call for a vote of no confidence in the Speaker. It would also provide members with a 72-hour notice to read bills before they get to vote. 
The House is scheduled to vote on January 9th on whether to adopt the proposed rules package. And then Epoch Times puts out another article which goes into more details about these concessions. McCarthy's concessions to Freedom Caucus and what they mean. Uh, Again, this was from this morning. Newly elected House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican California, had to make numerous concessions to win over a holdout group of populist Republicans in order to secure their votes. Here are the key concessions McCarthy had to make, including what some Republican strategists say is the key one allowing just one member to move to vacate the Speaker's chair, giving McCarthy a fragile grip on power. In a 20-minute speech following the vote, McCarthy laid out his priorities for the 118th Congress, including securing the southern border, combating woke indoctrination in American schools and unleashing domestic energy production. We must get America back on track, he said. We'll hold the swamp accountable. The House now plans to vote on a hefty rules package which includes a series of concessions that the 20 holdout Republicans pushed for. Some GOP strategists hailed the rule changes as a major win for the House Republicans' conference. The party caucus for Republicans in the House of Representatives saying it marks the first time in decades that they have independent authority from leadership. Key Concession McCarthy's road to the gavel was rocky, including 14 rounds of failed votes before the 15th round brought victory. In order to secure the support of the holdout Republicans, McCarthy had to offer a series of concessions. Republican strategists say the key concession is found in subsection Q of the new House Rules Package. It reinstates a centuries-old rule allowing just one member to move to vacate the Speaker's position. Such a motion will be made via a so-called privileged resolution, which supersedes all other business except adjournment. Anyone, anywhere, anytime, Representative Matt Gates from Florida said on Thursday on Capitol Hill, commenting about the power this concession grants to members to try and oust their speaker in a vote of no confidence. Were this motion to be invoked, McCarthy would need a majority of 218 votes to remain as House Speaker. This effectively neuters McCarthy, Attorney Jenna Ellis, who represented the 2020 Trump campaign, said in a post on Twitter. The original 20 have a pact that if McCarthy does anything outside his promises, they will vote to not retain and he's gone, referring to the 20 holdout Republicans who were opposed to McCarthy as Speaker. Under Democratic Speaker Nancy Pelosi, a move to vacate the Speaker's chair could be made only with support from a majority of either party. As part of his negotiations with the holdout Republicans, McCarthy first agreed to lower the number of members who could move to vacate the Speaker's chair to five and later to just one. McCarthy will be the weakest Speaker we've seen in a generation. Rachel Semmel, former White House Office of Management and Budget Communications Director, said in a post on Twitter. 
This might be one of the biggest conservative victories since at Dave Bratt VA 7th, she added, referring to former Representative Dave Bratt, Republican Virginia, who in 2014 as a Tea Party-backed economics professor delivered a major shock to establishment Republicans by defeating then-House Majority Leader Representative Eric Cantor of Virginia in a primary with Bratt hammering him as soft on immigration. While the move to vacate concession has received perhaps the most attention, members of the Freedom Caucus, of which most of the holdout Republicans are members, won another major compromise in the form of more seats on key committees. Freedom Caucus Representation on Rules Committee. McCarthy is committed to giving members of the Freedom Caucus more seats on the powerful House Rules Committee. This committee exerts tremendous power in Congress by setting the terms of debate, deciding what amendments can be added to draft legislation, and determining what gets sent to the floor or blocked. The Rules Panel usually operates as a tool of the Speaker, but with more representation, Conservatives will gain the ability not only to help bring key amendments to the floor on their priority issues, like government spending or abortion, but they'll also have more opportunities to have their voices heard. It's unclear how many seats on the 13-member rules panel will be given to Freedom Caucus members, with Time reporting that it's four, though it did not cite a source, while Politico reported it's three, citing anonymous sources. In recent Congress, the majority party held nine seats on the panel and the minority four. The incoming chair of the Rules Committee, Representative Tom Cole of Oklahoma, told Politico that we've had plenty of Freedom Caucus members before and that we'll be fine. Overall, McCarthy agreed to a number of reforms in House procedures that empower the rank and file members and reduce the power of the Speaker. Hard line on debt limit. Another of McCarthy's high-profile concessions to Conservatives contained in the draft rules package includes agreeing, involves sorry, agreeing to replace the current pay-as-you-go requirements with a cut-as-you-go measure. This would prohibit the consideration of legislation that increases mandatory spending within a five-year or ten-year budget window. The draft rules package also repeals the so-called Geffart rule, setting up a separate vote on the debt limit. Currently, with the rule in place, the House automatically sends a joint resolution to raise the debt ceiling when the House adopts a budget package, with the change giving Conservatives more scope to push for reduced spending. They're going to say that unless they have very steep spending cuts in domestic programmes, they won't vote for it, Representative Jerry Nadler, Democrat New York, told The Independent. Of course, lying again. Republicans are still reeling from last month's passage of the mammoth $1.7 omnibus spending bill, with many objecting to both the price tag and process, with Freedom Caucus members expressing the most vehement opposition. And it doesn't say that here, but the reason for them opposing McCarthy is because he actually voted in favour of the omnibus bill. 
Spending reduction. Two other budgetary measures in the draft rules package involve restoring a point of order against a net increase in budget authority for amendments to general appropriations bills and restoring a point of order against budget reconciliation directives that raise net direct spending. The draft rules package also restores a requirement for a three-fifths supermajority from a simple simple majority vote on increasing the tax rate, another win for Conservatives who oppose Washington's freewheeling tax and spend initiatives. Another measure involves provisions for spending reduction account transfer amendments and requires all general appropriations bills to have spending reduction account sections. Other concessions include one that would require 72 hours before a bill could come up for a vote and establishes several panels to investigate various issues of concern, including setting up a subcommittee on weaponization of the federal government. The proposal for the subcommittee comes after Republicans recently signalled that they want a top-to-bottom investigation of the FBI after the so-called Twitter files disclosed that the agency pressured Twitter to censor Americans' free speech. Before the rules package can be voted on, the process requires that members are first sworn in. If McCarthy tries to back out of any concession, he won't have the votes for any rules package and we're back to a stall. Congress can't move without a rules package affirmed, Ellis said in a post on Twitter. Bottom line, with this rules package, the 20 have achieved an historic accountability oversight and check on leadership and the Speaker's power, she continued. I would consider this a total win for Gates and Co, the MAGA movement and therefore America. Declare victory and let's get to work. Now this morning, and we know, put out a new video. I didn't get a chance to listen to all of it because it only dropped into my inbox a short time before I uh, did this recording. But I just want to give you a few key points that he said, which indicates that Trump was really in control of this whole process. Um, he said Trump was calling the key people involved to get this outcome uh, through, you know, his art of the deal approach. Um, I listened to a section of McCarthy's acceptance speech, which incidentally is not mentioned in these articles, but he announced that the the House chamber would be reopened to members of the public to be able to to listen to the debates, not only what was being debated, but what was put forward, etc., etc. So, you know, really returning the House to the people, which is a major win. Um. LT, and we know, um, asked the question, who wrote his speech, which seemed to me very much in the style of Trump. So maybe Trump wrote the speech, indicating even more that McCarthy was under his control. There's a um, a tweet from Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene showing an image in which she's holding her phone and sh- next to McCarthy and showing the screen to him. Um, The tweet says the perfect phone call and DJT is the contact name on the call. So, again, perhaps 
Trump was making deals with McCarthy. And of course, by including in the concessions this removal of or reduction in the power of the Speaker through this um, this one rule that says you only need one person to object to the Speaker to request um, a recall, then, you know, McCarthy is going to have to do what he said he was going to do. Um, so basically he's saying Trump and the House Freedom Caucus won a great night for America. Um, and actually he put out a truth which includes the tweet from Jenna Ellis that was included in that last article. And it just says, big night for America. And I actually have a screenshot from the And We Know video showing another truth from Trump. The speaker selection process, as crazy as it may seem, has made it all much bigger and more important than if done the more conventional way. Congratulations to Kevin McCarthy and our great Republican Party. And there's also a tweet from Mike Davis in this screenshot. Winners, the Constitution, the American people, future generations, the 20 patriots who had the stones to take a stand. Losers, Kevin McCarthy, the Swamp, the Uni Party, Conservative Inc. So... Uh, despite myself being very opposed to Kevin McCarthy, I think, as it says, we could have a win here unexpectedly. You know, there's always more to these stories than meets the eye as we keep discovering. And then another shot, screenshot from And We Know has got a couple of more amusing takes. The Babylon Bee tweeted out, Nation in shock as politicians show up to work four days in a row. I thought that was hilarious. And then, um, oh, I've cut, I've cut off the source of this one, but amazing how it works when only the people registered to vote in an election actually vote. In 14 votes, no one walked in with a box brimming with late-breaking ballots printed on scrap paper and the wrong size at that. No one voted early. No one voted late. No mules showed up in the middle of the night. And everyone who voted has an ID. Novel concept. So he was really taking a shot at the whole f election fraud process. Just as an aside, before I move on to the next topic, I've been wondering whether Musk delayed the Twitter files drop relating to Fauci and COVID-19 because it would have been overshadowed by all the attention on the speaker vote. Um, it was promised the end of this week. So hopefully now that all that has been decided, we may well see that come out. Now, actually, just before I do move on to the next topic, I wanted to share this comment that was made to the Epoch Times article from somebody called Freedom Prevails. And it's a list of suggestions for what the House should be doing under Republican control. Just putting it out here, number one, launch investigation into Biden crime family based on extensive evidence from Hunter Biden laptop. Two, investigate Joe Biden for violating his own sexual predator groper bill. Three, demand tax returns from Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, Ilan Omar, Chuck Schumer and Hunter Biden. 
4. Release and make public all video footage. The 14,000 hours of hidden video taken on January 6, 2021 at the US Capitol. Demand the FBI, DOJ, Capitol Police, etc. Release information on the dozens, if not hundreds, of federal operatives working inside the crowd and organising violence on January 6, 2021. Demand a copy of the affidavit and all supporting documentation for the Biden DOJ FBI raid on President Trump's home. 7. Get all of former Speaker Pelosi's emails, text messages, her film crew's footage and records related to the 2020 election and January 6th. 8. Remove Ilan Omar, Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell from their committee assignments. Investigate them. 9. Begin immediate investigation into Democrat dark money and the many corrupt Democrat-linked NGOs that they use to skirt US laws. 10. Begin an investigation and audit of all money sent to and from Ukraine, especially money related to the Bidens and other corrupt politicians, and the related donations to Democrats from FDX crypto company. 11. Immediately obtain and release Adam Schiff's interview with corrupt former ICIG Atkinson during the first Trump impeachment sham. 12. Investigate all actors related to the attempted coup of President Trump, starting with the Russia collusion sham. 13. Subpoena the footage from the Capitol Police of the Paul Pelosi attack in California. This story doesn't add up. So a really good list of suggested actions. I'd support all of those. I don't know if you would too, but I definitely would. And then just one last thing to throw into the mix relating to this whole thing being part of the plan. Uh, There's a tweet from Dirty Cop Hunter and it's got a screenshot from a truth by Julian's Rum that says, damn, and that has a screenshot of... Q post 497 and it says good win which is highlighted win when 15 Q and this was from January 7th 2018 so it's a five-year delta and of course McCarthy won in the 15th vote so perhaps it is all part of the plan after all nice confirmation there I'm going to move on now to the collapse of the safe and effective narrative um, regarding the COVID-19 injection. And it relates to Dama Hamlin's collapse from cardiac arrest at the Monday night football game, which was watched by millions. So it's really bringing this into the public eye. Of course, the mainstream media are trying to spin this by claiming it's uh, anything but a vaccine injury and bearing in mind that the Bills, who um, Damar Hamlin plays for, they insisted that all their players get the vaccine. So um, there's an article from Vigilant Fox which includes... Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough's analysis. He provides an in-depth analysis on Dama Hamlin's sudden cardiac arrest. This was January 4th. Vaccine-induced myocarditis is at the top of the list of the differential diagnosis. 
and it was originally published on Daily Clout. On Monday Night Football, January 2nd, a figurative shot was heard around the world. Before collapsing on the field, Bill's safety defensive player, Dama Hamlin, made a routine tackle on Bengals receiver T. Higgins. There was some contact in the neck and chest area, but nothing out of the ordinary for professional football. After making the tackle, Damar stood up, appeared to attempt to clap his hands, then fell straight down. CPR was subsequently performed and his heartbeat returned to a normal rhythm. He was then put on a form of ventilation through an endotracheal tube and loaded into a paramedic unit where the team of medics waited in the football tunnel for Damar's mum to hop on board the vehicle before transporting the bill's safety to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. The diagnosis, cardiac arrest. Now, heart attacks are quite rare in healthy young athletes and the screening process for such conditions is stringent in the NFL. That's where we turn to Dr. Peter McCullough for some insight on what might have exactly caused this. Dr. McCullough is an internist, epidemiologist and one of the most published cardiologists ever in America. Throughout the course of his career, he has received many patients who've had cardiac arrest outside the hospital and has published papers on the topic as well. I watched the game live and certainly watched the replays and a doctor's mind goes through a differential diagnosis of what could have happened when we see a collapse like that, stated Dr. McCullough. Let me tell you that I did see head and neck contact with a tackle which is not uncommon at all in football. Remember that the shoulder pads have a breastbone protector, a pretty substantial breastbone protector, so they take helmets in the chest all the time. Dr. McCullough continues, and a condition that occurs rarely in baseball called commotio cordis, where a baseball hits an unprotected breastbone, can precipitate a cardiac arrest. It's about 20 to 30 cases per year, and it's never actually happened in pro football. So we quickly ruled that one out. And as I watched things unfold, it was relatively clear that he was in a primary cardiac arrest. And incidentally, um, it's the mainstream media that's claiming that this was a, a commotio cordis um, situation, even though Dr. McCullough says, no, that couldn't possibly be it. This morning, Damar's uncle reported that Hamlin suffered a second cardiac arrest in the hospital. Dr. McCullough informs a second cardiac arrest happens in about 50% of cases of out-of-hospital cardiac arrests, which it did in his case, because again, the milieu was present for this to happen. But there is some good news, disclosed Dr. McCullough. Importantly, in our analyses, Damar has multiple features that would lead us to conclude that he will neurologically recover. And so everyone's hoping and praying that he'll have a complete neurologic recovery. And then there'll be an investigation into what is the cause of this primary cardiac arrest. Children's Health Defence's Amy Villella McBride asked for further clarification from Dr McCullough that it wasn't commotio cordis because of that second cardiac arrest. 
Right, so it's not commotio cordis, affirmed Dr. McCullough. Other things in the differential diagnosis include kind of a head spinal cord injury. That wasn't the case. Those things were quickly ruled out because he tackled and then he popped up and he stood up. He almost was going to clap his hands and then he fell over backwards. And I think all experts now have settled on a primary cardiac arrest, he said. What I told Tucker last night is that there is a differential for primary cardiac arrest. Now, in professional athletes, many of the causes of primary cardiac arrest for a man his age have already been ruled out because the athletes are so heavily evaluated and scrutinised before they're ready to play. So the leading cause of an athlete having a cardiac arrest on the field is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and that is an abnormal thickness of the heart. Dr. McCullough then addresses the elephant in the room. You saw the emotion not only on the commentators, the players, people in the stands. In an unprecedented manner, they've actually suspended the game. Everyone left the stadium. The elephant in the room that no one could bring up until I brought it up yesterday on national TV as the first public figure is COVID-19 vaccination. Dr. McCullough published with Dr. Polycrates from Europe the number of athletes who suffered cardiac arrest before and after the rollout of the COVID-19 injections. Before COVID-19 vaccines, the average number of cardiac arrests in all of the European soccer football leagues, which is way more players than the NFL, the average number of cardiac arrests was 29 per year. That's before the vaccines. The vaccines are ushered in in 2021 and since that time, the tally now for cardiac arrests on the field with professional sports players in Europe, 1,598. 1,101 of them have been fatal cases. Two-thirds cannot be resuscitated. So Damer Hamlin was very fortunate he was in the third that was successfully resuscitated and survived thus far. And when it comes to suspected causes of Damer Hamlin's cardiac arrest, Dr. McCullough says vaccine-induced myocarditis is at the top of the list. Why does he say that? Because by August 2021, the NFL touted a COVID-19 vaccination rate of 93%. Interestingly, in March 2022, the NFL dropped all all C-19 protocols. But the important point here, emphasised Dr. McCullough, is we're learning that the vaccine can cause heart damage. Two papers, Mansanguan and Lepesic, have given us the point estimate of about 2.5% of people sustain heart damage when they take the vaccine. It's not equally distributed, by the way. 90% are men and 10% are women. He continues, in more than half of cases of heart damage, there are no initial symptoms. There's no initial presentation. A scar is formed in the heart. That scar is readily identified by MRI and that scar becomes the setup for an abnormal electrical rhythm that circulates around the scar. It's called ventricular tachycardia and then it degenerates into ventricular fibrillation causing the sudden adult death syndrome. This is the leading thinking of what's happening with athletes on the field. 
Dr. McCullough denotes that there have now been 200 peer-reviewed manuscripts on C19 vaccine-induced myocarditis and the FDA agrees that the vaccines can cause myocarditis. Today, in a bit of breaking news, Massachusetts General Hospital found in 16 teenagers hospitalised with myocarditis circulating spike protein induced by the vaccine in high levels. So it looks like the spike protein is part of the pathogenesis of the acute myocarditis syndrome, added Dr. McCullough. For Hamlin, they'll have to work through this differential diagnosis. But in my view, there's now a unique public health responsibility that's been thrust upon all of the various players in this dramatic scene. And we've since had news that he seems to be making a recovery thank God, and lots of people are praying for him. And people have noted that it's brought prayer back into the NFL and even to some of the commentators have been praying for his recovery. And he was initially intubated um, and kept on a ventilator and sedated. But I think it was uh, either yesterday or the day before, it was reported that the tube had been removed and he actually spoke a few words to his family. So that's excellent news. And then Tom Rents uh, put out his view of this in a newsletter uh, published, well, this morning actually. Uh, bombshell, the DOD made COVID and the Damar Hamlin story plus the bioweapon vaccines. Died suddenly is going to be with us for a long time. I'm opening this with a bombshell. A new article posted in the Armed Forces Press is titled Breaking. DOD controlled COVID vaccines from the start under National Security Programme. Lied the entire time. Were never safe and effective. The title says it all. The DOD was involved in the creation of COVID through intelligence agency partnerships with EcoHealth Alliance and the same people pushed the vaccine bioweapons. More in our report on the origins of SARS-CoV-2. My question is, will the new House actually investigate and push for the prosecution of the DOD personnel involved in a plot that has killed over 10 million people globally between the jabs, the disease and the lockdowns? Or will they continue to keep January 6ers as political prisoners and ramble on about sedition by Trump when true sedition and treason seems to have occurred in our very own DOD? The nation was horrified last Monday night to see Buffalo Bill's safety, Damar Hamlin, collapse on the field after, taking a, after making a tackle. Hamlin was given CPR for 10 minutes before being brought to hospital via an ambulance driven onto the field. It is being reported that Hamlin suffered a heart attack, but, Ms. but Dr Peter McCullough suspects that subclinical vaccine-induced myocarditis may have been a contributing factor. Sadly, it took a Monday night football national audience to witness what has been happening for two years now, and it looks as though scenes like this will be commonplace for the foreseeable future. Hamlin wasn't the first athlete to collapse on the field of play since the introduction of the gene jabs. What used to be a very infrequent occurrence has happened hundreds of times in the past two years. Last year alone, 769 athletes collapsed during competition. Other athletes have experienced likely jab-related injuries off-field too. 
including a 31-year-old Super Bowl champion, a 38-year-old former NFL linebacker, a former Olympian, a professional golfer and a 16-year-old hockey player. And the carnage isn't just limited to athletes. One of Pittsburgh's Steelers owners, a 58-year-old Australian fashion designer, a 28-year-old ABC News producer, a 37-year-old ABC News producer, a 43-year-old rapper and Bob Marley's grandson, all died suddenly in the last two weeks. Just this week, three Massachusetts police officers died suddenly. Perhaps most tragic was the death of a nine-year-old boy just days before Christmas from a sudden blood clot to the brain. Are all the recent sudden deaths the direct result of the clot shot? It's hard to say. First, because the media have been notoriously reluctant to give causes of death. This isn't surprising, and as the media and others pushing the jabs have even admitted that they lied through the scamdemic. Second, because these mRNA injections can harm you in so many ways. It is now well established that both the virus itself and the artificial spike proteins the jabs induce your body into manufacturing cause circulatory system inflammation, including myocarditis and pericarditis. Such inflammation can lead to clotting, which can lead to pulmonary embolism and stroke. But we're also seeing strong data signals that each successive jab progressively compromises your immune system leading to susceptibility to infection otherwise unlikely to present significant danger, as well as permitting fast, aggressive cancers. While we certainly aren't cheering for more people to die and don't take pleasure in any death, it is notable that not even those who harmed others with these jabs are immune from their effects. It looks as though the death toll is only going to increase over the coming years. In another case of You Reap What You Sow, a celebrity-supported bail fund in Las Vegas has been shuttered after it was sued for funding the release of a man who six days later tried to kill a waiter. Folks, it's not a conspiracy theory or even hyperbole to point out that leftist policies kill people, a lot of people. We are truly fighting a spiritual battle and while I can't always promise you good news, I can promise you important news. Regardless of the nature of the news, I remain optimistic that 2023 will be a great year in which we will make substantial strides towards freedom. I'm hopeful regarding my new radio show, The Tom Renz Show, playing weekdays at 6pm and 7am on americaoutloud.com. I'm eager to file many more lawsuits and I think we may truly start to see the beginnings, some accountability this year. Thank you for your encouragement and support. And um, Tom Rents is a lawyer, as you probably guessed from his saying he will file more lawsuits. And he's really been very vocal in his opposition to the vaccines and the damage that they're causing. Of course, yesterday was January 6th and the second anniversary of the January 6th protest, the insurrection by the Pelosi team, no doubt, in setting this up to discredit Trump and his supporters. They went full on drama yesterday, holding this kind of memorial service, um, which they've called you know, worse than 9-11. I mean, ridiculous hyperbole on this front. And lying about um, five 
police officers being killed on the day, which is completely false. There were only MAGA supporters killed that day. Um, and thankfully, it was all overshadowed by what was going on during the speaker vote. Now, the other thing that's highly of interest uh, yesterday was the conference of by the Supreme Court in which they were going to consider the Brunson case. And I saw um, from Richard Citizen journalists some video of people gathered outside the Supreme Court chanting, take up Brunson. So people obviously are widely aware of this case and are keen to see it heard by the Supreme Court. Officially, the decision will not be released until Monday, but I came across this article by Justice For Us W go.wordpress.com today is the conference in the u.s supreme court let us see if the blackmail scheme case succeeds or fails let's see if the roland brunson case succeeds or fails and the blackmail scheme relates to justice john roberts now i haven't been covering that um I may have time to do it at the end, but I really want to focus on the Brunson case. So he says um, the Raylan Brunson case will be discussed at the conference today as well. This case was involving the fact that Congress did not do their constitutional duty to prevent foreign influence in the American elections inside the United States of America brought out the fact that the director of intelligence warned that China hacked into the voting machines and therefore Congress has an obligation under their oaths of office to investigate the foreign election interference before certifying the election results from the electors. Now, the, um, the submission to the Supreme Court is actually a writ of certiorari. And it says that that case is challenging the sovereign immunity of Congress, where courts are not legally allowed to sue any government official who has sovereign immunity. Depending on that immunity, they may not be sued or charged with any crime, even if they commit a crime. They can get away with it unless that immunity is taken away, meaning that a person cannot be held legally liable for any wrongdoing if they have any legal immunity. Raylan Brunson, in his petition, argued that it is an act of war and is treason to not protect the American citizens from a foreign government stroke country influencing our elections who has a vested interest in working against the United States of America. Hope I didn't interpret his arguments too much away from what he may mean, but I heard enough online interviews of shows with Lloyd Brunson to understand what Rayland was arguing in his petition and what he was trying to do to protect the United States of America by doing all of this legal work. Now, incidentally, it doesn't mention that um, the case is has 388 defendants, which include members of Congress, senators, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Mike Pence and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and is calling for their removal based on the fact that they failed to uphold their oath to the Constitution. I covered a lot of this in previous shows, but basically the defendants claimed sovereign immunity because they're sitting members of 
um, the government. But what this writ of certiorari is um, claiming is that the violation of the oath of office actually overrides sovereign immunity because by not investigating the election, which you know, had there was lots of evidence showing that it was potentially fraudulent. We believe, we know really that it was fraudulent. By not investigating it and just going ahead with certifying the electors, they've removed a duly elected president from office and installed somebody with no legitimate claim to that position. So the writ of certiorari is really asking the Supreme Court to rule against their immunity and, you know, hear the case against these 388 defendants. Well, a bombshell at the top of this article says, breaking news, the US Supreme Court accepted the Raylan Brunson case. The Supremes accepted the case. Sources redacted to protect the source. Justice for Brian D. Hill of USWGO Alternative News. God prevails, patriots prevail. And that was a link to another article. I'm going to cover as much as I can in the time available. Um, exclusive breaking. The US Supreme Court accepted the Raylan Brunson case. The Supremes accepted the case. Sources redacted to protect source. And it's got a screenshot of an email. And it's uh, redacted in terms of who it's from. It says, sorry for my tardy response. I have heard the Supremes accepted the Brunson case. What did they do with yours? I can't seem to find original source information that makes me confident about what the Supremes have stroke are doing. The article reads, a lawyer who had emailed me who was involved in some way with the Raylan Brunson case in the US Supreme Court and he had informed me that he have heard the Supremes accepted the Brunson case. So this lawyer had informed me that the Raylan Brunson case had been accepted at the conference today in the US Supreme Court. Hooray, great for them. Um, Brian Hill also sent a letter to the Supreme Court in support of the Brunson case. And in fact, many people have been asked to send letters in to support the case um, prior to the conference. So if this is true, it's monumental. I know we're all, we've all been hoping for the case to be heard. Uh, we won't know definitely until Monday when the result is officially announced. But um, of course, I've got no way of verifying this. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Uh, prayer did a lot for aiding in Dama Hanlin's recovery. And I know a lot of us has been praying that this case gets heard. So we'll just keep our fingers crossed until Monday and hope for the best. Our intentions are very powerful, of course. So that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. It's been a monumental week, I must say. Very busy as usual. Uh, I hope you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show next Saturday. And by then, of course, we'll have the decision from the Brunson case, um, which I can't wait to hear. And also we'll know whether the new rules that are going to be voted on on the 9th actually get passed in the House. So more news to come. I'd like to thank Nancy for producing and also Derek Condit for sponsoring Cosmic Reality Radio. 
and do go and visit his website mysticalwares.com wonderful range of shungite and other metaphysical products just a quick reminder where you can find me the successalchemist.net the webalchemist.net and empoweredmanifestation.com so until next time stay well be safe and bye for now You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com.